Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. Uh, very excited to bring this interview to the listeners because it was one of the first ones that we've done in person in a long, long time in Wormtown. Uh, but before we get to that, how are you? I'm doing great, Lance. Thanks a lot for asking. And when we recorded this episode, I, I was so excited to be in person, Lance. We were in Wormtown at the Blue Table, the, the Crawl Space Studios, and we had guests. Private investigators Vanessa and Andrew Wyland joined us. It was amazing. Uh, just a completely different dynamic when you're not behind the Zoom screen and you're speaking with someone in person and you can play off of their nuances and you can tell when uh, they're wrapping up their thought and, and you can start making your notes like you're not stuttering. There's no connection issues. Um, and you can just have this energy that exists in the same room with these people. Um, we haven't done that in a long time. And I think coming out of the gate with this conversation, um, I know I was like, my heart was racing. Like I, I was shaking by the end of it. Uh, and there was that. And, and there was also the fact that we were battling through some construction upstairs, which is not common for our location there, but they were doing some work on the room above us. Uh, there's also some sirens. We'll do the best we can to cut that stuff out. But we battled through, battled through and had a wonderful conversation. Um, and it's all part of the charm of... Uh, Recording in Wormtown. <laughs> you can say that again, Lance. So the Wylands have been working with Private Investigations for the Missing, which is the nonprofit that we are on the board of, of course, Lance. And it was founded by Bruce Maitland, father of Brianna Maitland, who went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th, 2004. And they have been working the case of Phoenix Colden. That's correct. Phoenix Colden disappeared on December 18th of 2011 from a town called Spanish Lake, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. And we had spoken with Andy and Vanessa and Phoenix's mom, Goldia. That was one of the more intense conversations I think we've ever had on this show. Very productive, though, as was this conversation with Andy and Vanessa that you're about to hear. Okay, so check out Private Investigations for the Missing and all they're doing over there at investigationsforthemissing.org and definitely follow their social pages as well. And if you've got any information in the disappearance of Phoenix Colden, you can submit a tip right to Private Investigations for the Missing through their tip line. The number is one 331 6660 Or you can also email PIFTM tips at gmail.com and anything submitted there will be passed on to the appropriate place and tim the date for crime con is rapidly approaching and we will be there las vegas april 29th 30th and may 1st and if you're on the fence about whether or not you plan on going maybe this will put you over the edge 10 percent off your standard badge by using code crawlspace at crimecon.com and feel free to swing by our table there on Podcast Row, and you can ask us about Phoenix's case. You can ask us about PIs for the missing. You can ask us about anything you want. Maybe we'll answer, but hey, you're not going to know until you ask. That's right, Lance, and uh, that's going to be a blast. I cannot wait. And uh, another thing I've been having a lot of fun with is our new subscription service for Missing, and you can check it out at missing.supportingcast.fm. We haven't la ever launched a Patreon for this show, but we are launching a subscription service for this show. We're going to bring you ad-free episodes, sometimes early releases, 
We'll give in-show subscriber shout-outs and a whole new show sharing our theories and thoughts on select disappearances. That's one of the elements that I'm pretty excited about. The fact that when we do these episodes for the public, we have to be a bit restrained when we're speaking about our personal theories involving the missing person. And this gives us more freedom to explore theories and do sort of mental workshops with each other on the likelihood of what scenario might have happened to this particular individual. Absolutely. So you can check that out at missing.supportingcast.fm. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Please follow us on social media at missingcsm. And you can check out the Wylands website at lakefrontinvestigative.com. Welcome to the Crawl Space Studios. We are here with Andy and Vanessa Wyland. How are you today? Wonderful. Doing Happy great. to be here. Yeah, Happy thanks, to be Tim. in Massachusetts, actually. This yep. is great. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to Wormtown. <laughs> um, I don't want it to be lost in the intro there. We are here in person in Wormtown at the studio. It's like 80 degrees outside. It's probably <laughs> the best weather we've had. We're going to do this interview. We're going to grab some lunch. Uh, there might be a little noise from above because they're doing some construction, but F it, we're here. It feels good to to see you guys in person and yes, to meet same. you. Yeah. To meet yeah, you in yeah, person. Yeah, this is great. Too yeah. long. This is great. It has been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we first met both of you um, through Private Investigations for the Missing, the nonprofit that was started by Bruce Maitland, and you can check them out at investigationsforthemissing.org. And you are private investigators who volunteered your time to join um, private investigations for the missing and take on a case. So what case uh, have you taken on? So right now we're working on the Phoenix Colden case. Um, she's a missing uh, young lady from St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, she went missing in East St. Louis, um, of course. Um, and so we've been working on that now for two All, yeah, two years. Two years. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And uh, and we had you on the show um, previously. We spoke, I think there's four episodes out there that you could scroll back and find on uh, the disappearance of Phoenix Colden, um, where you both uh, are in those episodes, and as well as Goldia, Phoenix's mother. And um, so you're still working on the case? Yes, we sure are. For yes. sure. Right. How's it going? Uh, I will say uh, for for us, it's it's. Not I, w I don't like to say it's slow going. Um, we're just very methodical, um, very detail oriented. So no stone goes unturned. Um, and, you know, we're just making headway as we can. Uh, we're at the point now, I think before we were looking at some of the known facts of the case, the things that had already been um, uh, uncovered and now we're kind of looking more at the uh, what's going on in East St. Louis or what was going on at the time in East St. Louis, um, exploring some of the less savory parts of, of um, you know, the Internet and, and uh, things things in that particular area where she disappeared, uh, events that were occurring. Um, and now we're at the point where we have a network. And I, I guess I should let you talk about that, the people that um, well, you want to talk to. Real quick before, sure. I, I definitely want to hear about that, but you said something at the top of your answer uh, that you're very methodical and detail-oriented. And 
after speaking with Goldia and knowing her uh, experience, the the past experience she's had with investigators and people who have said that they're going to help, how do you communicate that to someone like Goldia and and tell her um, it might not seem like things are going on, but we are trying to be as detail oriented and methodical as possible and still maintain her uh, her trust in her um, trust in you guys. How do you communicate that to her? Well, I think I, I, I do the bulk of the communicating with the Coldens, um, both telephonic and text and, and email and stuff. And we're, we're keeping in touch about every week, every other week. Um, sometimes things come up. Sometimes the, they, they've called on us to help them on some things not necessarily directly related to the case. Um, in, some, in some instances where they just need someone to help them understand a... Uh, you know, something that had come up uh, that they were just struggling with, that they didn't understand how, you know, how to look at it. And, and we've helped them through a couple of those things, put them in touch with, uh, with some law enforcement folks as well uh, for some things that have come up. Um, and I stay in touch with um, the lead detective on the case. Um, that's uh, Detective uh, Tom Taylor out of the St. Louis County Police Department. Um, we've spoken on the phone. We've exchanged some emails, um, but he and and I will say too, he has not said that the case is cold. He also has not said that he's made any progress. So that's not a, an attack on him or anything or a negative against him. It's just a, a policeman is only going to share as much as they can share with a private investigator who they also don't even know. You know, so I, I, I a lot of gratitude for Tom just taking the time to even you know entertain some of my contacts with him. I also have been speaking with some family members. Uh, of the uh, the Coldens, and we are looking at trying to meet up against. We have not yet met up with them in person. I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about meeting up. Uh, COVID being what COVID was, and and scheduling being what scheduling was. I think we're getting closer, and um, and so I think in the next uh, couple months, I'll be taking a trip at least, if not both of us, to St. Louis and uh, getting some feet on the ground kind of stuff going on. But that is what helps us get back to Goldia and Lawrence and that constant engagement with them. They, they, I don't know, honestly, Vanessa, I don't know if, I don't know how confident Goldia is that we're going to be able to, to help them in, in this case. However, I think they value the help that we are trying to give them and, um, and I'm looking. I'm still looking to move forward with them on those things, on, on very specific things that that, uh, that are pertinent to the case itself. Vanessa. Yeah, I, I just um, they knew from the very beginning that my um, my participation was definitely going to be in the background, and sometimes I'm going to find things that are not pleasant, um, and maybe just not that it doesn't need to be shared, but it could do nothing but cause heartache and it, you know, things that may not even be true. So, um, I don't do any of the communication. They just, um, have the trust that, you know, I'm somewhere in the background and Andy's going to communicate what he can and what he will. Um, I, I will say though that, you know, he's always been kind of the person, you know, the persona person, um, in, out of the two of us and, you know, Christmas cards and, and birthdays and anniversary, things like that aren't forgotten by him. And so, um, you know, I just can't do, I, I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> this is how the dynamic works, where you're the front-facing um, representative of the of the investigative team. and You do the interviews. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you do like the background stuff. Like, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. explain that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Why I, I, that's interesting because I don't think a lot of people appreciate that part of it. So my background has uh, been doing um, military intelligence, and so I think when we talked before, that kind of the the things that I was able to do and able to learn, um, I'm trying to bring that you know forward um, by looking for missing people, specifically with open source intelligence. And so that, um, you know, a a lot of times OSINT is for things like everybody knows Bellingcat and, you know, they they saw the downed airplane and things like that. It's a... uh, For those those people out there that don't know, I'm not saying it's Everybody knows. Yeah. Um, What... Fill in, yeah. fill in the listeners, the, yeah. those the, the, the handful that don't know. Sure. Um, so Bellingcat is an organization. Um, they basically do uh, publicly, they take publicly available information, they crowdsource it um, to answer questions that we would normally think of as intelligence questions. So if there is a, uh, for instance, um, the MH17, the plane crash, right? Uh, so they were the ones that did all of the geos, the um, uh, background information to kind of point to who they believed and who they proved eventually was responsible for for the crash, right? Um, so other things that they might do is um, for a uh, ch- uh, child pornography ring or something along those lines. Um, they would take information that people just... Joe Schmo out there, you know, they would grab uh, all kinds of information, put it together in a package and then expose or, or you know, communicate with other intelligence agencies. What, well, actually, they don't do that, but um, they, they would just communicate with um, law enforcement or something, um, people who are responsible for doing bad things out there. Um, and, and the big thing that they do is the crowdsourcing portion of it, you know, taking people all working on a big problem and putting that together to solve the problem. Are those civilians or are those? All civilians. Those are civilians. In fact, they tend not to work with uh, government agencies. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, you can go to bellingcat.com, B-E-L-L-I-N-G-C-A-T.com, and see what they're up to. It's pretty cool. You can donate and uh, yeah, see the, the causes that they're working um, with and for. Um, and it's funny. I Googled Bell. And a cat, because I thought that's what you said. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> but but it came up. It, it yeah, came up. I mean, everybody good, knows yeah, who Bell and Cat is. People so. are like, yeah, um, people who don't enunciate well. <laughs> this is what they usually search. Uh, yeah, so I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near uh, near those guys. Is um, I, I don't have their pedigree or, or some of their skills probably, but what I do have, I'm trying to use um, to find people yeah. that, that are missing. I think that goes back to, uh, Lance, your question, um, the background part of what she mm-hmm. does, right? So we can get into the OSINT. We can talk yeah. about that. That is the kind of stuff that I rely on, Vanessa. You mentioned earlier, Vanessa, there are some unsavory parts of the web that we have to go to sometimes. I've gone to some of those in, in this investigation there are things that you can't unsee. And when you start talking about, you start seeing it differently than when you're looking at it uh, at the level that Vanessa's been looking at some of these things. You start you start seeing, forgive me, Vanessa, not to put words in your mouth, but you start, when you when you do this as part of an investigation, it's not, it's not just pornographic content necessarily, or it's not just crude message boards. You, you have a sense that they're talking, you, you, you're waiting, you're looking for something relevant to your case 
and that's when it becomes really vile. And that's, those are the things that happen behind the scenes that we don't always talk about with the Coldens because it is pulling a thread, right, Ness? Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys, we talked about this, the comments that sometimes you get on your videos or things like that. Like sometimes there's some gold, there are nuggets of gold in those comments. Or, you know, maybe that person um, just wants to be part of something. And so they may make a comment and then we chase that down. Or um, we're looking to see who's behind some of some of the stuff that's said. Um, A lot of times, and I think this is where I got off track a lot of times with OSINT, it's really about companies or or nation states or something like that. So you have like IP addresses and, you know, it's it's kind of what people think of, oh, this is what hackers do to gather information. Um, But in in our case, it's really about figuring out who these people are that are making um, comments or suggestions or say they know something about the case. Um, so we tra- try to track those people down and eliminate them or, or whatever the case may be. And so just like this, and I'm sure you guys saw with Maura Murray, there were people that were saying things that really didn't have any idea. They were just trying to get involved as best they can. I don't want to go back. You just said we track them down and eliminate them. Did I say? <laughs> you did. I I am not in the business of eliminating people. No, would not, not anymore. <laughs> I've always been nervous about you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he has since I, the beginning. I remember. Yeah. No, we go out and eliminate those red herring stories. Yeah. You know, like, hey, that's just a red herring. We eliminate. I am not in the business of eliminating people from this world. No, no absolutely not. Not at all. But you keep um, a list. Uh, yeah. of, of I've possible... got a book right here, Ledger yeah. of Perceived Slights. So, yeah. This is her book. Yeah. No, I'm so sorry. Yes, yeah. no, uh, we, we know whether or not to keep investigating them, keep going down that, that yeah. rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah, right. Ruling out those, those uh, false leads. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of them. Yeah. And like you said, there are people who want to be involved. For whatever reason, they just want to feel a part of something. Yeah. And they'll make a comment, and that comment looks interesting. It looks of value. And then you do a little bit more digging, and you realize, eh, really, they don't know. And you're able to identify who some of these commenters on, like, social media are? On occasion, um, if you kind of, once in a while, you can follow back, you know, follow somebody through their other comments, you know, their usernames. Mm -hmm. That's how we were able to find some of the people in East St. Louis um, that were were in certain uh, social groups, things like that. Um, And then you can always, if necessary you could get more into oh what videos are they posting where else where else is this uh social media handle used and then you can follow it through to twitter for instance or an email address or something like that unfortunately fortunately for us unfortunately for us as private citizens um our information gets connected very quickly and easily um when it's when we post things i think one of the challenges too you face as an OSINT type investigator right is um the real popular social media places need you you need to verify your name your number an email an actual email facebook's that way twitter so finding ways around those things is a challenge right you you can do that by again pulling the thread on like usernames on uh, looking to see where other what other places that person has gone to right Mm -hmm. like you were saying and Mm -hmm. um but that that inability to get in deeper to some of these accounts that we would like to, when we get someone to a point, at least me, Vanessa, and, and this may be where you go a little bit deeper, and I and I don't understand how to get that deep. But for me, I, I, it stops there, 
And then I'm like, oh, I see a picture, I see a face, I see friends. But then it doesn't just stop because now you see associates, you see friends, and you can kind of move on without getting necessarily too deep into their profile. So if Vanessa is able to sort of identify one of the commenters and they are somebody that uh, could be connected or maybe formerly knew Phoenix or something like that, is that when you would take that information and then try to interview them? Potentially. Yeah. Has yeah. that happened in this case? It. I, I know of one person I think that we've seen a comment from that I, I am interested in speaking with. Uh, two. Two. No. Yeah, yep. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. right. And so they are on the post-COVID, we can move around yep. list, yep. which I guess is right now, actually. Yeah, and that's the next, that that actually is, is good because some of the folks, we want to talk to some of the folks that she went to school with, that Phoenix went to school with. Great. She went to two different two different universities, right? And. Uh, have an opportunity to talk with them in town, those folks that are still there. Now, we only hope that they're willing to speak with me mm -hmm. when I get to town. When you see these comments, what is it about the comments that stands out to you without getting into specifics? But how do you, because you said that you have one and then you said no, two. So it made me think, is there something that stands out in, in these comments that you're like, that's different? There are the obvious ones um, that we can catch very quickly where people are like, oh, uh, I knew her when um things like that then there are people who think they're being slick and maybe they say something like oh um there's more to this story she wasn't as not you know those kinds of things where we were like okay well what do you know and you know it's some maybe some lady in can in kansas who really you know loves true crime and she knows nothing or it could it turns out it's somebody who's connected to other people that are part of the case you know so um we look for those kinds of things what else do YouTube. i look for uh, well yes of course if you want to get into yeah any of those yeah. um think comments that are uh very antagonistic towards the parents or that's that that uh have levied um i guess uh accusations against the parents that that maybe we would want to look into um those were uh, that usually goes at the top of the list because it they're very rarely true, but somebody's got a bone to pick, and I want to know why they have a bone to pick. And the Coltons have kind of been through the ringer in this case as far as um, comments like that go and as far as being approached by folks who are not trying to help their case. Yeah, they have. They've been on both sides of that. Some, some of the PIs that were out for themselves maybe, right, as we've heard from them. And then also there is a real... A real threat to, I'll call it a threat, but it is, it's a real threat to families of missing persons when they put their, their stuff out. Their yeah, personal looking, information. Their personal information, yeah. their, their personal information, their real contact information, you know, seeking to broaden their, their help base. And then you've got, um, uh, you know, non-state actors who, you know, maybe, you know, um, Illegal, like criminal organizations who might use that information to try to gain money from the families, from the, you know, to victimize them, to, to solicit money, coming up to them and saying, you know, calling them and saying things such as, um, your daughter has been in a car accident and is here with us right now. I'm a police officer. Um, and then, you know, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic thing that these families go through. But there are tools available to them to help them um, to include the FBI's um, cyber crimes uh, reporting website. And forgive me, I, I don't know the I don't know the link to that website right there off the bat. But, um, you know, I've had to do one of those. 
there's for this case already. Yeah, there are. I mean, that's a common that's a common scam. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not people are missing or or just you know like a. I'm sure you guys have heard the thing where somebody calls grandma, you know, it's an older lady and they're like, oh, your grandson was in a car because we have them here. Your contact information was in his glove box. Um, you know, we we have this bill, this hospital bill to pay or just whatever the case may be. Um, those kinds of things happen. And then when you put on top, like people are putting um, the Colden's name out, you know, Phoenix's name is out there. Um, they have their contact information. I think it it's um, an attractive target for certain people that that you know try to get over. So has that actually happened yeah. to um, to the Coldens? Yes, where people. Yeah. So that that wasn't just like a hypothetical. No, like people have called them and said that Phoenix was with them and had I, been in an accident. Yeah, That's we've, incredible. We've helped them through um, through that. Mm-hmm. A couple times, um, yeah. and so in the process, and they've had that happen before us yes, as well. They that, had. that was well a well publicized one uh, that scam. But significantly, what I what I observed is that it the fact that they have had this happen to them before didn't change the impact that it had on them when they called me asking for help. Is this real? Is this something that we should be? You know, should we? How do we report this? Do we do we call the FBI? Do we do this? And so. That's kind of the th- one of the things that we do to help them out to navigate that. And don't bother them filling out reports. Give me the information. We'll fill out the report for you, and we'll get it submitted to the police and the FBI. That's great. That's yeah. yeah, we've been hearing this um, this sort of story more frequently yeah. um, in the past uh, year or so, um, and sort of just trying to dig into that a little bit and um, I guess expose as much of that as we possibly can because it's uh, – Something we find obviously pretty egregious, and it's not all scams, Tim. It's also yeah. just people being crude and like unnecessarily. So why? Well, is it ever necessary to be crude? But why? What do they have to gain? And are they a child doing this thing that they think is funny, or are they? You know, is it a prank, or is it part of a longer game? You know, longer scam, if you will. And that's what you have to watch for. Is you know, do they contact again? Do they try to make contact? You know, a day or two after, and so far that. Yeah, that hasn't panned out. Yeah, it's it's really gross. We've been, um, like Tim said, we've been looking into uh, these sort of charlatans that have come along, and it is kind of they do they are trying to play a long game. They really are yes. trying to play a, a very a, long game, a long con even to, yeah. to the yeah, yeah to the point where it's like if I was conning you for so long, I mean, come on, I am legit. Like no one would do it this long. Like that's what you start to question, and then they like they troll like the GoFundMe's. A lot of these families have GoFundMe's um, that have raised thousands of dollars, and you just have to go on GoFundMe and type in "missing." You know, type in the word "missing" and hit search, and then it's you. you uh, you're telling you can, everybody how much you got, how yeah, much you've earned, how much you've raised, yeah, yeah, yeah. raised. And, and, and the I think money is raised from the community, right? Because the people want to see movement in the yeah, case, right. you know. That that's the part that, well, one one of the parts that get me really furious. Yeah, talking about this subject. Yeah, is there anything else on this topic that we can speak about on the air that could help families? Yeah, I, I think at least for the um, the attempted scams that go out, right? Um, there are things that people can do. They can pay attention to um, the inflection of the voice of the person calling. Sometimes it sounds very realistic, very realistic. Uh, we do know that this scam often originates in um, Central and South America, that you'll hear a, uh, you potentially will hear a Hispanic accent 
over time. They might put a, a person on the phone who says that claims to be the family member, and they may sound very convincing. But that's because they've done their research and they've scrubbed the Internet, and that's a low-hanging fruit for an organization like that. Uh, so things that they want to look for, uh, uh, they want to, they first of all, let's do this in steps. Stay calm. Stay calm. And immediately ask to speak with the loved one, the missing loved one. Immediately ask to speak with them. Ask how they're doing. And then ask for a, a location, where they are. Start getting as many specifics as you can. And, and as long as they keep talking and staying on the phone, just keep them on there, but stay calm. Don't panic. Don't, um, don't start yelling at them and engage at them or try to threaten them if they change their story. If it, if it changes and it becomes quickly noticeable that this is a, is a scam, if you know it's a scam, if you know you're being scammed and they ask you for money, remember the police will never ask you for money to get your loved one out of trouble. The FBI will never ask you for money to get your loved one out of trouble. Don't fall victim to that. And if they are a organization that you think might have access to your loved one and you feel that the, the threat and the, the, um, the demands for, let's say, money are that important um, or that realistic, you need to be prepared to take it to the FBI. Now, the interesting thing we found is the uh, phone calls that are common, they'll, they'll drop off after maybe the first 30 to 40 seconds. They'll just drop. Then they'll call back about a minute or two later. And they'll they'll say they'll demand to you know hey you need to you need to help fix this situation, and they may call back a third time, changing their story altogether, saying we are a serious crime organization, right? A, a legitimate a le- legitimate crime organization, if it's such a thing. We are a real crime organization. We have the ability to hurt your daughter if you don't give us money. To hurt your loved one if you don't give us money now. And if you're a parent who's Mm -hmm. grieving or worried, it's going to be, nobody would just say, okay, well, you know, obviously this is a scam, right? Your tensions are high, your emotions are high, um, and that means that your memory is, Mm -hmm. is, is diminished or degraded. So make sure once you hang up, you take notes of your impressions, your thoughts, your ideas, anything that can come, that has come up during the call, um, any any little the littlest thing could could really mean um, uh, that we would be able to eliminate or or really chase down um, these things. Uh, I'd also say, I guess, with that, um, just I guess also reiterating, you know, the the stay calm part. Um, but even if they don't ask for money, they're asking for your time, they're asking for your energy. And, and so just remember that you're, you're spending something, you're expending something on each one of those. So we tend to ask families to have a separate um, line, maybe not necessarily a personal line, something that uh, they give to their PIs or that they give to a friend or somebody that's close to the family that may be able to sort of be a little bit of a filter a um, between, between yeah. yeah, buffer. So then if they do have your personal phone, um, that would that would be questionable too, I guess. Right, but, right. Yeah, and then on top of that too, um, they can flip their story, right? And so that's, it, it makes, you can't, you, you want to trust a cop instinctively. So a cop is calling you saying, you know, we're here to take care of, make sure that you get your loved one back. And then that cop flips it on you and turns into a monster on the phone, demanding money or, or death as a consequence. And that's, 
that's very hard. So yeah, uh, tools are out there. Um, these things fall even when they go over the the even via phone calls, right? It still falls under the uh, cyber crimes, mm-hmm. uh, cyber crimes division. Yep. And so they don't um, they don't necessarily track all of the FBI doesn't have the time and bandwidth to track all of these things down. But because of the types of reporting that we've been able to do for the Coldens, I've been able to go back through and see other reports. And they're so close. The MO, the, the, you know, the, the method of approach, the, the TTPs, that they are, the, the tactics and techniques that they use to try to hook the family on the phone, the, the short duration, the multiple short duration phone calls, they all match up. And then even the ties back to, uh, um, you know, Hispanic speaking sounding hispanic sounding accents right um meaning that they potentially the fbi knows a lot of these are originating in mexico specifically in mexico so uh yeah it's a tough spot to be in but there are tools for them and if they have an investigator that they're working with yeah that that investigator should really be helping them with those in my opinion uh they should really be helping them with those types of reporting uh one of the the things I guess that's good about us even though we're a little bit slower because we're doing this on a part-time basis on a volunteer basis is that we're not expecting anything from the family so everything that we're doing is just sort of like we have the uh, bandwidth I guess or or we are more willing to be methodical about what we're doing we're more willing to take those calls um, because it's not we don't have to bill it you know so I, I feel like if you places like private investigations for the missing and and groups like this, it really helps for especially families that are already, they don't have maybe the money to Mm. invest in a private investigators. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear the um, behind the curtain type work that goes into this because when you identify yourself as a investigator, you think primarily you're out to catch the person, you're out to get the person, you're out to solve the case, but there's so much more to it. You're you're uh, managing the relationship with the family, you're helping out in these scams. It, investigating is like, it, it goes beyond the actual investigation, which is impressive to me that, um, that you, you guys dig that deep and you continue to communicate with the family. It's a relationship. And it, exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's it a whole relationship. And the word investigator doesn't seem to properly uh, cover that, you know, yeah. everything. I feel more like an extension. Honestly, yeah. I feel like more like an extension to Goldia. A family member. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. she's mm-hmm. done this investigating for years she's done this investigating for so many years so things that i'm thinking about now she may have thought about five years ago and already forgotten that she had thought about it yeah. and, and that happens often a lot yeah is it a little bit of a red flag if someone goes directly to the family instead of going to say the st louis police yes. or the missouri police or even pis for the missing we have a tip line you can submit a tip to for in phoenix golden's case you can submit a tip in any case and that will be forwarded. Um, that phone number is one eight six six three three one six 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 zero. And I'd also point you to point your listeners to um, again to the St. Louis County Police Department since they do have official charge of the case. Right, and that's Missouri. Missouri. Okay. Yeah. And I, I guess, I I, do, I hesitate to bring this up because of um, Missouri's um, or actually that entire area's history with the police. But um, again, in Detective Taylor's case, um, we can sit here and question all of the decisions that were made starting in 2011 up till now. I know that some 
parents and families feel so uncomfortable going to the police and and feel so uncomfortable going to um, the FBI even. Maybe maybe you're worried that your missing loved one was actually involved in things that could jam them up, you know, or um, the family has some history or whatever the case may be. Um, So we find it very important to keep putting out private investigations for the missing, like keep putting out names like that, keep putting, you know, people like you guys out. Um, uh, because like it or not, there there sometimes is that barrier between the police. And so we do, we tend to say, you know, go to the police, call the police. But for people who don't, maybe they feel like they don't have that as a an option there are other organizations that are willing to help. And I, I think that I would really like to point that out because sometimes we have the the problems where um, we say these people are are missing or, or um, underrepresented or things like that. And, and that could be one of the very reasons is just because the, the family in that community, community doesn't, doesn't feel, feel comfortable with, the, with law enforcement or with mm-hmm. government. Which is, yeah, well, which well is said. Nice. Yeah. 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 value in putting out uh, private investigations for the missing Tim, as you did that that number for those types of people, particularly who just want to talk to someone who's not necessarily an officer of the law. And they, you know, on some level, they're probably appreciative of the fact that you can call a number, um, like like for private investigations for the missing, knowing that you're not speaking directly to law enforcement, but knowing okay, this will get to law enforcement, mm-hmm. so you are you are still communicating by way of another organization to law enforcement. But it's a more comfortable uh, situation for for you. Yeah, one of the one of the ho- uh, the the scams situations that we spoke of earlier resulted in a uh, an extended conversation with a detective. You know, and that that was a conversation that, like you said, the family member didn't have to have because mm-hmm. I had all the information. And if the if the officer needed more information, that officer knows they can go right to the family yeah. at that point. You know, and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And now, specifically about about Phoenix Colden's case, is there anything you'd like to speak about here? I know you've been working on it for a while, um, and there's twists and turns, and um, I'm sure there's some names and details you can't mention, but um, is there anything that you can mention here that could potentially help you on your mission? I think one of the things that... Um... I, it still bothers me, and I, I don't want to imply that Phoenix was involved in anything nefarious. But the area, again, that her car was left in at that time, um, being able to look at archives for forums mm-hmm. and things like that. That was St. Clair Avenue, East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a high crime, but a very high um, uh, area, I, I guess, known for prostitution. And... Um, Again, this is one of those things where I don't want to talk bad about police, but uh, at that time, um, the people who would seek out prostitutes, um, often they would do their business and the police would confront them and say, on about your way, and they would arrest 
in my opinion, who is really the victim in this case, right? The the prostitute, uh, often underage minors, things like that. Um, so I, I think that we we have kind of this weird, uh, I, I guess this this weird confluence of events at that particular time in that particular area that she may have been caught up in something, not just she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with some people, some people that were very, very bad. Um, and so I, I would like to kind of, um, we're, we're exploring that a little bit more, exploring some of the people that uh, tend to post on the forums about things that they they like to do, like to do to women specifically. Um, so just these kind are of going forums back. that are not your. You, these are not your average. Form. You got to dig for these forums. Yeah, you got to dig through. Yep. You got to dig through for these people. Um, you have to kind of prove yourself, and which is not your... something I'm necessarily willing to do in this case. What do you mean, prove yourself? Like you infiltrate the group and. I would not. But what my purpose at this point is to collect as much evidence as I can without becoming a member of any of this and present that as a these are the circumstances. These are the people that were in this area, around this area um, that maybe could be looked at. And then people who are much more savvy than me at at this kind of stuff, they would look at it instead. Is this dark web research that you uh, get into? Absolutely. And and actually, the location where the where phoenix's car was towed from mm-hmm. ultimately right that location it now the buildings there were two buildings there those are now gone they were raised uh probably three years ago 2018 right after right after um right after oxygen network did their um special on phoenix about two three months after that the because uh, you saw now chief of police chief perry who was the investigating officer the responding officer that night uh, december 18 2011 that 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 evening who we've talked about but he was out there in that video the the oxygen network special and you could see the buildings in the background and then and then we went back and google uh google earth uh, went back in time, and those those were gone in 2018. Right, about two months after, they were just totally gone. They they dug up the backyard of it, uh, piled everything up in the back. Do you feel comfortable talking about what you learned about the location on on uh, Saint Clair? Sure, um, that it was it was a gentleman's club. Um, people referred to it more so as a hotel. Um, so that that was definitely one of the things that we were looking at. I'm not a I'm not a geospatial expert by any means, but there did seem to be disturbances in the backyard mm-hmm. um, that we saw from you know looking from a couple of days to another, looking from years to another. Um, just we have some gaps in in our mapping software, or mm-hmm. I guess we have some gaps um, that on certain dates, so we can't necessarily say for sure what we think is going on um but there definitely was i mean that's that was a hot spot of activity um and now that the buildings are gone you said earlier that we know she went missing in east st louis and we think she went missing in east st louis right because she left from the home in st louis missouri Mm -hmm. and uh an hour later her vehicle or an hour or so later her vehicle was there in east st louis at that location with the door ajar Unknown. Oh, unknown. Oh, okay. In fact, Chief Perry has said, "Come back and said, no. The doors were all closed. The engine was off. It oh. didn't. It didn't seem like there was anything going on." He looked inside the vehicle. Said there was no sign of a struggle. There didn't seem to be anything out of place. There was no blood on the scene. There was no sign of violence. And so he just summar- summarily had it towed within thirty minutes. So the car was essentially parked 
uh, near that stop sign, or it was stopped at the stop sign? Well, there was no stop sign. Parks. Oh, there wasn't. No, no. No, it was like a it was a roundabout at the time, and it was pulled off into some uh, like a. No, the uh, roundabout. I'm sorry, Ness. The roundabout is new. That That's was a straight right. through in 2011. Right. That sorry. was a straight through on on yeah. Saint Clair, and and then it veered off to the right to the to the north. But the the question at the time was, uh, and this comes back to they mentioned it in the in the oxygen network as well, is that this might have been somebody mentioning to the Coldens that the doors were open and the car was running. Somehow that story got in there, but I'm I'm not even saying it was a story. The Coldens just say I don't know where it came from, but that's what was reported. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, Chief Perry has since said, no, the car confirmed that the car was on the side of the road. The car was on the side of the road. The doors were closed. It was not running, and there didn't seem to be any sign of disturbance around the car, so he just had it towed. And and I'm sorry, I should have said, I when I'm saying, no, it wasn't parked, more so like that's not, it wasn't a parking spot. It wasn't. It like it really shouldn't. It was. It was on the shoulder. It was on the shoulder. Yeah. Not in the middle of the road, okay. which to me again, and I think we talked about. I don't want to go back to something we've already discussed with y'all, but um, to me, if it was in the middle of the road, get it towed. If it's on the side of the road, it's probably going to get towed, but it's going to get stickered first. You know, it's going to get stickered. Might get a boot on it, or someone might sto- steal it. So why was it towed then? <laughs> We don't know why it was towed. Because it was just, towed that night? It was you... towed within 30 minutes of him arriving, or 57 Very minutes. Quickly. Yeah, because Phoenix could have gone back to the vehicle, right? You would think. You it, would must think. Have, it must have been somehow in the way. It must have been somehow. And, but he had know? said in the in the Oxygen Network special it was on the side of the road. That was the thing. It was on the side of the road. And that somebody called 911. And I, we do have a copy of the police report that, that uh, uh, then Officer Perry filed. I have both his handwritten notes and the um, the uh, system no- generated notes uh, that I got from a Freedom of Information request to the uh, police department. There, they match up, and the one thing that stands out in both of them is it says uh, "victim female." A night on one call, so somebody was uh, was it like a neighbor or was somebody driving by and they they Unknown. called? We don't know who called in. Nine one one. Why would you ever call? Yeah. 911 for a car. So there was a victim identified yeah. as a female. And then um, since then, the police department was absorbed by the St. Louis County Police Department. The East St. Louis Police Department was at this point or at this area. No, it wasn't absorbed. Forgive me. It wasn't absorbed. Their all 911 dispatch was centralized at St. Louis County Police Department. So they no longer East St. Louis Police Department no longer has their own nine one one nine one one dispatch, but at the time they did, and I've I I I FOIAed those records as well. Uh, they were destroyed when they found out that they were being transferred that that requirement is being transferred to the St. Louis County Police Department all the 911 records were destroyed from East St. Louis they're what? just gone so you don't know what <laughs> we the call them. was about no they don't have them what? What? so so then this question would be pointless what was the female a victim of right yes well i mean i don't understand what how that call and and there's a female victim and the car has only been parked there 57 minutes later it's towed he shows what? up 57 minutes later it's towed now i've been harsh on chief perry Maybe unnecessarily so, because I don't know the man. And he might be the sharpest dude, and he might feel a certain way about this case that still bothers him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I guess if you asked earlier, is there one thing we could, we could say? It's like, Chief, talk to us. Talk to us, man. 
Yeah. You know, like I, I've tried calling him uh, Lou. Uh, Lou Barry has tried calling him Chief to Chief. You know, retired still Chief to Chief. Still doesn't. No answer. But, Unbelievable. That's but crazy. he's a busy chief, too. He's got a very busy city. Well, this is one of his cases. Yeah. Like, it's part of his job. Yeah. He, he did the oxygen special. That he was, did. That was more than a phone call with you. I, I want to get back to that 911 records yeah. um, to- topic that you mentioned. Like, aren't those, like, digitized? Yeah, you would think. Like, how? why would you ever destroy 911 records? I well, mean, if, if you they would can think exist that on a hard drive. East St. Louis and St. Louis would have um, some sort of communication system where they would say, hey, we just picked up an abandoned car. Yeah. And so, does this, were there any cars reported yeah, stolen happen, or anything? There are several things that we could say you would think. Yeah. Um, and we could either look at this as some vast so conspiracy or it's just a comedy of errors yeah. that has been. I guess I could just say it, that has been exhibited by police departments across the United States. Yeah, yeah. Right. Not to pick on anyone. Not to pick yeah, on anyone, right, right, right. but I, I mean, it's pretty there have been... familiar story. And these are people, they're people too. Police are people too. Yeah. Sometimes they're just in it for a paycheck, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what, at, at what yep. point do you make the decision? Who's making the decision when you're merging, like, the when you're s- centralizing the 911 calls? Yeah, who's the, the person the who decision, says, oh, delete those? The decision to delete the records was a very deliberate decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what is that's wrong not with an people? accident. No. That that can't be, oh, we accidentally lost them when we did the transition over there. I'm having a hard time with that. Yeah, like now, we're trying to save room? We could yeah. say, because... We've both worked for large bureaucracies. Yes. And we could say that when a reorg happens, there are people who lose their jobs or who lose their positions, Uh their clout in an organization, and they're just mad and they lash out and then they do something like that. I can't believe that being a disgruntled, but you're right. Could be a reason. You're right. We could speculate all day long, guys. Yeah, that's exactly right. We just don't want to have them. We don't know. Yeah, they still have the... um, uh, the cell phones, I believe, and, uh, and perhaps her laptop. I've asked for access to that as well through a FOIA, through information that they may have gathered. You know, the whatever they might have gained, whatever they may have gained from yeah. doing that. And that didn't come. I, that didn't come back in the in the Freedom of Information Act request. And what was interesting though is in the phone calls that I followed up with with the deta- with the uh, the two police departments, everybody wanted to help. I get a sense from everyone I've spoken with. They are interested in this case, and they have all—they all know the case when I call. Yeah. And now it's to the point where I've heard them say, "Oh, you're the PI." Good. That's been calling about this, and so maybe that's another reason. Maybe I need to follow up with another FOIA request. You know, do a little bit more. But all that came from the FOIA request, uh, two FOIA requests, was um, the the report that we already had a copy of. Just it was digitized report of the police report. Yeah. From that night. Yeah, and well, it also said female victim. I, I mean, I would love to know why that that says female victim. Yeah, and if Chief could come, if Chief Perry could come out and just explain a couple of those things, that would be helpful. Yeah. But but hey, is it does he is you know is he responsible for answering those questions? I would say yes. Yeah, since he was the responding officer, is his memory bad? And I mentioned this in the last time we spoke. You know, maybe it's just bad memory. But his memory's got to be good enough if he made it to Chief. If he's the chief of the police, he's got to be pretty sharp. He's got to be a pretty sharp tack. It's so bizarre, the, the labeling uh, female victim, right? So you're using that word victim. So whoever called had to have seen something that right. would put it in someone's yeah. head that it was a, a, that she was a victim. And, well, we to, don't even know it was Phoenix, fair, right? To be fair, the form itself 
has victim and I think male oh. and female. Like so that so was part of the form if I'm if I'm not mistaken. It it is a fill in the blank. It's a check the box. Okay. So but again you ask, well, who calls nine one one on an abandoned vehicle? Yeah. Yeah, and why would there be a victim if there's just a sure a parked vehicle or an abandoned vehicle? And would the nine one one dispatch have made such a mistake as to put in there, hey, there's a female victim, and then Chief Perry puts in his report, there was a female victim. It's an, it, and, but there was no sign of um any struggle or, no or any, any crime struggle. at the car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. The victim of what? Yeah, exactly. So I mean if if you're law enforcement, if you're like Chief Perry uh, and you're not answering questions. I mean, somebody saw something out there in order to get that that you know terminology down as mm-hmm. as victim. Somebody saw something. Like, why aren't you why aren't you doing as many broadcasts about it as possible? I mean, someone saw something. But yeah, it was is. It, I mean, I we've got both. I mean, I I'm confirming right now. I mean, I've seen them both. You know, I've got them. I've got control of both of those documents, and they do both confirm that there was a. They both indicate there was a female victim. Again, my question. Why does somebody call 911 on an abandoned vehicle, right? Nobody does that. And if they do, the cops aren't going to respond in less than, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it was that he responded, however fast he got out there, because they're going to say, an abandoned vehicle, sir, ma'am, this is not the number to call. Please call the police department directly at, you know, and, and talk to the traffic department. You know, they'll send somebody out, you know, but if you're calling 911, there's a problem. What the hell was the problem? You would argue an emergency too. That's right. Yeah. What was the emergency? What was the problem? And what confounds me still to this day is that there was no follow through. Nobody asked. Well, why did you sit? Why did? Why was this done? Why was this a nine one one call? Nobody asked. And he's not talking about it. He hasn't explained it. What he did in the oxygen network special was explain where the car wasn't. Uh, I just I did feel like. His Oxygen Network appearance was a bit of cleanup, a bit of CYA. And I think we've talked yeah. about that And that before. roundabout was in yeah. the picture in yeah. 2018 yeah. when they yeah, did that. Yeah, that's right. That roundabout, mm-hmm. that new roundabout was in yeah. the picture. Yeah. So, again, forgive me, Chief Perry, if you do hear this. Uh, I'm, not trying to be an, I'm not trying to be an ass. But if nobody else is doing this case right now, working for Phoenix, we are. Right, yeah. Let us do some of the legwork for you, man. A real quick story. Um, when I lived in Boston, there was a car that was on the uh, parked in a parking spot in the neighborhood. It was running, and I walked past it and did some errands and came back like a couple hours later, and it was still there running. So I called the the police. I called the Boston police, not nine one one, and I said, "What did, what should I do about this to get this car? I don't know what's going on with it. It's been here for a couple of hours that I know of running." And they said, "Call nine one one." Oh, oh wow! And and I was like, really? And and they they said yeah call nine one one, and I was like okay and I felt silly calling nine one one but they had someone out there in two minutes I called nine one one I was like I don't think this is an emergency but there's a car here that's running and it's just been sitting here running for a couple hours, and they when I was walking away I could hear the there was sirens somebody coming and they were coming yeah. yeah but it, I mean the vehicle was running vehicle right? was running yeah. yeah and here in in Phoenix's case that that vehicle was not out of gas when they found it in the tow yard. It still had gas in it, so it hadn't just been running and then run out. Yeah. It. So if if what Chief Perry says is is accurate, that it was on the side of the road, doors closed, car not running. So we live in uh, the Baltimore D.C. area, and um, there are cars on the side of the road 
all the time. Mm -hmm. And they are there for days and days. And I don't know if that's an indictment against Baltimore (laughs) and D.C. or if it's it's an issue. Yeah. But I mean, especially because they're not running, you know, and often, you know, people do their little flag. They put their shirts in the window or something like that. So you always know what is a... uh, an out of commission vehicle, but still, it, it, it's just not something that people do. No one would think to call nine one one for a shut off <laughs> and, car and like, on the side of the road. And yeah. like Lance, you, you know, in your situation you, with that car running, um, I get it. I guess I do get it because hey, what if someone's dead in the car? You know, well, weird. But what if there's a baby left in a running car? Yes. You know that I can under- I can understand. Um, but if you're walking past that car and it's just running and you are concerned then about, uh, I would think you're more concerned then about domestic safety. Yeah, absolutely. Like a terrorism absolutely. type yeah. concern. And that's what we're all vigilant on as well. But you don't typically call, I wouldn't think someone would have a terrorism concern outside of a brothel. Fascinating element to this. And does, uh, does all of this information you've, you've, told uh goldia right the vast majority of it yes yeah. Yeah, i don't with think there's some a, exception yeah I, I don't think there's anything too specific here that we haven't i don't think there's anything we haven't shared with her because we do I, I do follow up with things but the specifics on some like yeah the things the red herrings we don't need to yeah you don't need bother to her with that, because yeah. they go and and look when goldia if she hears this and there's something that we haven't talked about with her she's gonna understand the red herring thing because she's been doing this for 10 years now yeah you know, she has gone through dozens and dozens of rabbit holes, down dozens of rabbit holes, hundreds of them probably, more than she remembers. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything here that was that's so earth shattering there, you know, that we not for did, yeah, not for, no. not for the cold. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. They've and, done their homework. And we've we've talked about the the house we've or that building on you know, I've asked them what what did you think of it? They said, Well, we thought it was a place of ill repute. But uh Lawrence actually went uh, to a lot of strip clubs in you know in, in in his own investigation he was going in they would drive up there he would go in he would talk to the owners do you know this girl have you ever seen her so they were they were willing to to entertain early on the possibility that she had been forced into a situation that she didn't necessarily want to be in for sure good and yeah. so he went all over the place St. Louis and East St. Louis and so that's the level of commitment these two had early on and throughout for the last 10 years it hasn't changed they're just tired yeah. So now with private investigations for the missing, we have an opportunity to just kind of, you know, be that shoulder under their arm, kind of help them carry this along a little bit further. You know, Goldia is going to be, um, she's about to turn, you know, she's mid-70s. She's about to turn 75. She's 75? She does not look a day. No. Over, no, she looks great. Yeah, yeah. a day over, if I would, yeah, she she's, looks great. Um, she and Lawrence both. But I know she wants to see her daughter before yeah. too much longer. We talked about that a lot, and that's the that's how just about every phone call that we have together it ends with her saying, "Andy, I thank you, but I just want to see my daughter again." Yeah. And um, and she's told me straight up, "I don't think you're going to be able to find her." I mean, imagine you know you said that they're tired, and 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 you said that right after you're talking about how they drive up to a strip club and uh, Lawrence would go in. Can you imagine after so many strip clubs, so many times doing that, like how tired you would be not getting an answer, having to show the picture again and going in and again? They're, they're very uh, Christian. They're a very Christian family. So yeah. they're very religious, right? They're very uh, 
they are very uh, what is correct and what is not correct. Right, as you got from Goldia mm-hmm. herself, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're very principled people. So going into a place of ill repute, if you will. Sure, yeah. Um, into the devil's den, and also you know, you to think try of, to find their daughter. They're seeing other people, and they know what situations those girls are in. They you know, know what I mean. And families. so it just it would just make your imagination run wild going in and seeing this every day. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that we don't really talk about enough when we talk about private investigations for the missing, where, you know, the the overall uh, mission statement is providing investigators for families. But look at everything that's going into it. They're tired. You guys are helping them out. You, you guys are, are now the ones who are saying, all right, we'll, we'll start making these calls. We'll report back to you. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be literally the, you know, your, your shoulder for a while. You, you talk and like that, that's heartbreaking that you talk to her and she says, I thank you for what you're doing, but I don't think you're going to find her. She has somebody to say that to at least. She didn't have that before. I can't imagine. Like we, we talked about this actually. Um, our daughter is about the same age as Phoenix when she, when she disappeared and she is a firecracker to say the least, you know what I mean? And, um, I have no, I guess I'm never, I'm worried about her all the time, but I know that she can handle herself in various situations. But um, very recently, um, she had, an, she was um, driving and ran out of gas. And so she, she stopped at a gas station to fill up her car. And her windows are tinted, so you couldn't see in. Um, but so she had gotten out by herself and she was filling up her car and she saw this really, really beautiful, nice, you know, Silverado or something, you know, big truck um, kind of off. And a guy had walked out and he was speaking kind of broken English and, you know, was saying, hey, uh, you know, come over here. You know, can you help me or, you know, something along those lines? And she was like, no, nah, I'm good, you know, and just kind of like and then some friends got out of the car and was like, hey, we got a problem. And so then he left. But up until he then, was right up to her door. he was he was right there with her. And so, I mean, just thinking of the speed at which things can, can happen, happen to somebody um, and that, you know, somebody who this was in Baltimore and she looks like she could take care of herself. I'll just say it like that. You know what I mean? Um, and so there's nobody safe. And so we we think about that all the time and like what we would have to do, what we would go through if we had to look for her or for our son um, in the, these kinds of cases. And it just, it it kind of propels us forward a little mm. bit, yeah. you know, um, where we would maybe get tired. As oh, well, for sure. You know? And that's not to say that this case in two years hasn't had its own effect on us as of investigators, course. right? And yeah. not, 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 we're not victims of this by any means, but it does, it does have an effect on you. And it is the same with the intelligence work, you know, for military intelligence type stuff. There are things that you're privy to that are ugly. Yeah, right. And what do you do? Like, you come to terms with that, you, you, you file that away in, in a part of your brain that you're like, yeah, I don't want to. You just compartmentalize I'll, I'll, it. Yeah, I'll access that when I need to. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.